Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We live in a world where the past seems further and further away. This might seem like a strange thing to say, but given the rapid rate of technological change we are living through, it can be hard to understand the very basics of life, even in the recent past. I'm not talking about the 19th century. It can be hard to understand and relate to what life was like before the internet, social media and smartphones transformed the basics of our daily lives, from shopping to dating. The world of our more distant ancestors Someone like old Crohanman, who was brutally murdered 2,300 years ago, often seems too far into the remote past, a world obscured by the mists of time, to even imagine. However, in spite of all that change, there are things that have remained constant through the 80 or so generations that have come and gone since old Crohanman walked the earth. Despite the wars, invasions, pandemics and conquests, there are some things that were important to him and his generation, that remain important to us today. When I visited Crohan, this continuity over generations was striking. Crohan Hill dominates what is otherwise a very flat landscape. It not only shapes how people move around the area, but it's also a focal point for miles around. For Miriam Ryan, who lives in the shade of the hill, it's always a welcome sight when she returns from work in Dublin. It's something that's been in the, the landscape for a, for a very long time. You can you can catch sight of it from almost any direction approaching it. See the hill, you know you're you know you're coming home. While its dominance in the landscape was unquestionably equally important for O'Crohanman, this is not the only continuity between the past and present. The hill has and always has had spiritual associations for the people who live in the area. In the twenty first century, celebrations with roots that stretch back centuries continue to be organised to mark St. Patrick's Day. There's a, a holy well, which I suppose was originally a pagan well, round the back, which is associated with St. Patrick, and that gets, you know, um, church attention around St. Patrick's Day, so there's generally mass or rosary or something like that. Flocks of people throng to, to climb the hill. There's a lot, a lot of families, because it's a nice alternative to a parade, you know. It's something active to do, and it's, it's, you're, you're not sort of looking for parking or stuck in town. And then it's funny when you when you when you talk to people a lot of the time when you when you say where you're from or where you're living they'll know about the tradition and I've met people who've done it every year for for decades that's that's what to do they come and they, they climb the hill 
Scattered over the hill, there's also other sites that are reminders of past generations who've had spiritual associations with this remarkable feature in the landscape. On its eastern slopes, there's a graveyard that was used for centuries until the 1950s. Close to that, there was a medieval convent, while at the top of the hill, there's a passage grave that's probably over 4,000 years old. It's no surprise then that the hill is centrally involved in the story of the murder of Old Cranman, who, as we have heard in the last episode, died as part of a ritual in an act of human sacrifice. Although he was found about two kilometres away, the most convincing theory that explains his death is centred around rituals that took place on Cranman Hill. Damien Lawler, Miriam's husband, explains what these were. On top of the hill, you have the you have the passage tomb, which, you know, which is obviously a very significant place. It was also the point of inauguration for for kings of Offaly, um, associated with the O'Connor family who, who who lived in Croton. As we are about to hear, it was this ritual, the inauguration of local kings, that ultimately led to the man we know today as Old Crohan Man being executed in the most horrific way possible. This is The Road to O'Cran, an Irish mystery. This is the second last episode in the series, part five. The Road to O'Cran was written, researched and narrated by myself, Finn DeWire. The series is based on additional research by Damien Lawler and Miriam Ryan. And the sound was by Jason Looney. The series artwork was by Keith Hines. This series was only possible because listeners of the show support my work at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. I know times are tough, But if you can afford even a couple of euros or dollars, it makes all the difference on my end. If you become a patron, you'll get bonus content and early access to the show. The final episode is already available to show patrons now. The next major project I'm working on is a series on the Irish War of Independence. You can find out more about that and support my work at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. You can also support the show by checking out the shop irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop. You get lots of unique gifts there based on Irish historical figures and events. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the Irish History Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to guarantee you hear the next episode. Before we get into the theory about why he died, it's worth summarising what we have learned so far about Orkrohan Man. He lived and died about 2,300 years ago. He was an adult male aged between 25 and 40 who suffered an extremely brutal death. While tall and powerfully built, he did not engage in physical labour and was from the elite of his society. His death, however, is the most remarkable thing about him. He was stabbed in the heart, decapitated and disemboweled. His nipples were sliced through and after death, holes were cut through his upper arms and a hazel rope or withy was passed through. All these wounds are significant in explaining why he died, as we are about to hear. Significantly, he shares similarities with other Iron Age cases across Europe, most notably Cloney Cavanman, who was killed around the same time and also bore the strange mutilation of having his nipples sliced through. While some archaeologists have been hesitant to speculate on a precise reason why Ocrohanman and the other Iron Age bodies deposited in bogs were killed, Eamon Kelly, the former Keeper of Antiquities in the National Museum of Ireland, has led the way in suggesting a bold theory which not only explains a motive but also gives us a clear sense of who exactly Orcrohan Man was. So central to his identity is the way he died. 
human sacrifice. It's important to try and not over-sensationalise this. Now don't get me wrong, it's hard not to over-sensationalise it, but to understand it and O'Crohan Man himself, we need to look at the human sacrifice from the perspective of the people who carried it out. This helps us understand why O'Crohan Man, above anyone else, was chosen by his community to die. So Miranda Aldhouse Green, the Professor Emeritus in Cardiff University, now summarises best what exactly human sacrifice is at its core. The thing is, if you're sacrificing a human, you're sacrificing one of your cells. And what you're doing is giving to the gods a representation or representative of your community in order to thank the gods for something or to ask them for something. This is important because for the people who carried out such a brutal practice, it did seem logical. Now this might sound strange, but what I mean is that our ancestors weren't killing people randomly as part of this human sacrifice. Their belief systems led them to think that the death of Old Crohnman in particular could lead to an improvement in their lives. So this begs the question, what exactly were those belief systems? Miranda Althaus-Green gave her views on this. It's very difficult to answer the question about the belief systems because the only real evidence we have is archaeology, which is obviously very patchy in terms of its interpretational value for religion and, and belief systems. And we have the classical writers such as Julius Caesar, Luke and Pliny and others, who of course are writing through a classical lens, which is going to be almost a way of saying these people are barbarians, they're beyond the bounds of the Roman world, so they're going to be different, they're going to be other, and they're not going to be as civilised as us. So we're getting this very distorted picture. From the archaeological evidence that is important, and from some of the Roman period evidence with inscriptions and altars and statuettes and things, which we can possibly project back into the Iron Age in some way, is that it's a multi-god system. You've got gods that are spirits of everywhere. So you've got spirits of the sky, the land, water, particularly important, hence bogs, mountain streams, every natural phenomenon, whether it's, whether it's trees, whatever it is. So there is this feeling of a spirit in every place, that the whole natural world is charged with spirituality and therefore a form of danger. Miranda now goes on to explain how human sacrifice unquestionably existed at the time as part of these beliefs. We actually have written records to prove this. A number of classical writers make the point about human sacrifice. Now, I don't think this is something which is just made up as a kind of barbarian stereotyping image, because we have to remember that in the, in the Roman world, human sacrifice only became illegal in 97 BC. It was going on before that, and actually it was going on quietly afterwards as well. And human sacrifice, according to Caesar, I think we can believe in Caesar, because he was writing about Gaul at the time that he was governor and commander of the legions, conquering Gaul in the 50s BC. He met Druids, he met people, he talked about religion. Now, he might have had to water it down for his senatorial audience, but he was there for 10 years, and he had great respect for the Druids. And one of the things he says is that they were in charge of all religious practices, including human sacrifice. He also goes on to say that human sacrificial victims were, for choice, um, criminals, prisoners, and prisoners of war. But if the supply ran out, then the innocent would also be called in. And it seems to be that human sacrifice was rare. 
in Gaulish, British, Celtic world, if, I, if one's going to use that term. But it happened. And it was normally done, I think, at times of great stress and crisis. Hence the fact that some of them are right on the cusp of the Roman invasion, such as the Lindo Man. So they were done in terms of times of famine, perhaps, danger, warfare, or at great festival points where in ceremonial assemblies that we know so much about from early Irish mythology, at times of the great Celtic festivals like Saun and Imbolc, Unasa and so on, there might have been human sacrifices then. And the interesting thing, going back to the bog bodies, is that sometimes it seems to be possible to say that particular people died at a particular time of year, which may make it possible to tie it in with the great festivals that are mentioned in the early Irish myths. Next, Eamon Kelly, the former Keeper of Antiquities in the National Museum, talks about the specific belief systems in Ireland at the time. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot of the work which has been done in recent times looking at the symbolism of art during the Bronze Age and the Iron Age comes to the conclusion that the art is related to sun worship. And the basic belief was that the sun travelled across the sky on a solar boat, then travelled at night to the other world, went underground, as it were, sank in the Western Ocean, travelled to the underworld and rose again from the Eastern Ocean in, in the morning. And the interaction between the sun, which was male, and the earth, which was female, was what uh, produced uh, fertility and growth and, 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 and human well-being. In this world, spiritual beliefs and political structures were closely interwoven together in the person of the king. The king was the earthly representative of the sun god and at his inauguration ceremony, the king married the earth, married the earth goddess. And these are traditions which continued right down into the, the late Middle Ages as long as Gaelic uh, polity uh, existed on the island these traditions were there and you know at least a thousand years after uh, Christianity was introduced into Ireland so this was a very persistent and very basic concept and it it was also believed that uh, it was the king's sacral role his sacred role uh, through his intercession with with the goddess to ensure fertility to make sure that there was good weather there were good crops that the cattle were safe that this that the community was uh, was safe from attack and from warfare and so on bringing this back to O'Crohanman 
As Miranda suggested, it has been argued that human sacrifice was carried out in times of great difficulty in the hope of appeasing or appealing to the gods to intervene. While this existed in general, the question we have though is how do we link this to Orkrohanman? What does it have to do with him and where does he fit in? Through analysing archaeological evidence, Irish mythology and some of the earliest Irish historical sources, Eamon Kelly has forwarded a very convincing theory as to who exactly Orkrohanman was and why he was sacrificed. I think in Ireland there's strong evidence that the victims who are selected uh, at these times are the kings because they have failed to perform their sacral role as kings to protect the community and there were inevitable consequences of that. So if this is correct, Man died because he was a king who had somehow failed in his duties to his community. Could this really be true? Well, if we think back to episode 3, when Isabella Mulhall, who led the Bog Bodies Research Project in the National Museum, described Man, she said, This individual may have been a special individual in society, may have been, I suppose, apart from other people in society and uh, may not have been engaged, as I said, in manual labour, may have been from the higher echelons in society. So if this is the case, and Orkrohanman was indeed a king, I asked Eamon to explain why he might have been killed. If society was struck by a plague, if it was struck by, by a famine, if there was widespread disease, if the society uh, was overcome by enemies. There are lots and lots of ways in which a king would have been deemed to have failed. Now at this point, you could argue that the links are still too loose to convincingly say that Orkrohanman was indeed a king. However, Eamon has produced large amounts of evidence to support this. We know from, from the early mythological accounts that a special form of death was reserved for kings. It was called the, the, the triple death. And it involved uh, stabbing. It involved uh, being struck with uh, a blunt instrument. And it involved drowning. And when we look at the bog bodies, the bog bodies suffer multiple injuries. He has also identified historical figures who suffered a similar fate. It's interesting that two of the last pagan kings of Tara died the triple death. Uh, one of them was a, was a king called Mokdok Mokirk, and the other was Dermot MacCarroll. And they, as I said, they, they, they both died by uh, this uh, special method of, of, of killing. And interesting enough, we know that those kings ruled at a time when there was a massive uh, volcanic uh, explosion in the Caribbean area, which produced uh, uh, very, very adverse weather conditions. There would have been wintry conditions for the, for, for the summers over a number of years would have led to widespread famine. So that would have been a very dramatic event. Um, but of course, if uh, foot and mouth disease or something like that got into the cattle herds, or even even a serious bout of influenza might be enough to to put to put the king on a uh, in, in a difficult situation. Both the injuries identified on Orkrohanman as well as those on Crony Cavan Man 
who dates to around the same period and was also found in 2003, loosely fit with this description of a triple-fold killing. If you remember back, the word overkill came up time and again when the detail of the injuries was discussed. However, for me, the most compelling evidence that O'Crohan Man was indeed a king comes from Eamon Kelly's analysis of the specific wounds O'Crohan Man suffered, particularly the unusual slicing through of his nipples, a fate he shared with Crony Cabin Man. This was the strangest injury, given it was so unusual, yet also present on Crony Cabin Man. Eamon now explains why this might have been inflicted on people who were kings. We have a very good contemporary witness to life in Arden Age Ireland, and that is St. Patrick, who was, who was uh, partly reared here, having been taken over from, from Britain as a slave. And Patrick left, left us an account, his, his uh, confession or confessio, and in it he describes how uh, when he was escaping from Ireland, he, he, he found a ship and the ship's captain wanted him to suck his breasts. Now, that sounds like a very strange thing. Um, Patrick refused, and he refused on the, on the grounds that this was a pagan practice. But in fact, the, the sucking of the nipples was a gesture of submission. It's actually something, again, that is very widespread, not just in Ireland, it's right across uh, the Mediterranean world and into North Africa as well, this form of gesture of, of submission. So in the case of Old Crown Man and, and, and Cloney Cavern Man, both of these bodies had their nipples mutilated. They weren't removed, but they were sliced through. And I think that this is an indication that these men were being decommissioned from roles of, of very high authority, that they were in fact the, the kings who had been sacrificed. The final mutilation on the body of Man that we haven't yet discussed is also bizarre. Holes had been cut through the flesh of his upper arms and a hazel rope passed through. This was almost certainly inflicted after death and clearly had some symbolic meaning. Eamon argues this was a very important part of the ritual. He began by explaining what he thinks the hazel rope or widdy symbolised. There was a twisted widdy found with the body. Now, I believe that that was a spansel. A spansel is a restraint that you place on a cow to hobble it, to stop it from being run off in cattle raids, and also to hobble it so it can be milked. Spansels, in that sense, are associated with the protection of the cattle, and they're associated with the production of milk. While the mention of cattle raids might seem odd, it's worth bearing in mind we are talking about a world where cattle was a measure of wealth in Ireland at the time and cattle raids were a key part of war. In terms of Old Crotonman, Eamon has identified an event from one of the most famous ancient Irish myths, the Cattle Raid of Cooley, or the Thoin, that might give us an indication why someone like Old Crotonman as king who is perceived to have broken his word, will be richly humiliated by restraining him with a spancel. We have another reference to a similar use of a spancel in the tale Tombow Coolina, the cattle raid of Cooley, whereby Cúhullan uh, uh, kills the, the foster son of Queen Maeve and he is then 
uh, uh, hooked up to to a spancel which is run through his feet, and he's dragged back in ignominy to Queen Maeve's camp, um, and 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 that's because he had he had broken his 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 ward uh, uh, when he attacked Cúhollán, so he's been a bad boy. Finally, Eamon argues that the specific location where O'Crohan Man was found was also very important and supports the idea that he was a king. The bug bodies do tend to turn up on very important boundaries at Old Crohan. The boundary in question uh, where the bog body was found is the, the boundary of the present parish of Crohan, but originally it was the Tuha of, of Crohan. And the reason why the boundary is important is because each tribe had its own territorial goddess to whom the king was wed. And indeed, she constituted the land itself. And what gave form to the goddess was the boundary. So boundaries were considered to be uh, portals to the other world. And if your boundary was facilitated by a boundary bog, then it was even more important as a portal to the other world because the bog lands, which were neither land nor water, so a ritual carried out at such a location was much more likely to to have effect than a ritual carried out elsewhere. So um, that, that would explain why the boundaries were of such importance. Overall, Eamon's case is very compelling. When I visited Cron, Damien Lawler pointed out to me how this theory almost fits into the physical landscape itself, that he was inaugurated on Crohan Hill and was then sacrificed in what was almost the exact opposite to the hill, the depths of the bog, seems to reinforce this idea. You know, at the top of the hill you have inauguration and you have that sort of veneration of a new king coming to power within an Iron Age power structure. And in the bog itself, this is where it all comes to an end. You know, if the theories are correct about the, the, the sacrifice of kings, However, this theory is not without its critics. Miranda Althaus-Green, for example, is dubious. She feels the theory is over-reliant on sources written in the early medieval period, which was centuries after Orcrohan Man died. And so my problem with that interpretation is the elision between early medieval period and the Iron Age. I mean, it may be that the early medieval stuff has a carryover from the Iron Age, but I think it's more complicated than that. We don't know much about boundaries in the Iron Age, so I don't, I don't get it. You can't argue absolutely against it because we just don't have the evidence for the Iron Age. I think it's more likely that it's, it's at times of crisis. When I asked Vinan van der Zanden from Drenthe in Holland what he thought about it, he gave an interesting answer that opened up the possibility that there may be multiple explanations on why people in the Iron Age were the victims of human sacrifice, which vary from region to region. We have to look at bog bodies in the original context and not see them as a uniform something, which one general explanation. The reason why people were buried in bogs in the Netherlands may have been quite different from the situation in Ireland. It depends also from the level of society. I mean, in our Iron Age, we didn't have any kings. So that leads to quite a different explanation. The only common thing they have is that people, some people 
apparently were buried in places that were not normal burial grounds. They received a different treatment, but the explanation for that can be different in different regions. For me, I'm pretty convinced by Eamon Kelly's theory. The slicing through of the nipple and the clear symbolism of such an act in a world where the sucking of the nipple is a sign of submission is very convincing. It's such a strange, unusual mutilation, yet one found on both Old Crohanman and Tony Cavanman. Ultimately, the case of Old Crohanman will never be solved in the way modern murders are, where we can say with complete certainty what happened. The remarkable work in the National Museum has allowed us to go from just having a torso in a bog to understanding the life of this person who lived over 2,000 years ago in great detail. In the next and final episode in the series, we will return to Crohn, and in that show, we will bring the story full circle. And as his community faces yet another crisis, we will see how Old Crohn Man is enjoying a legacy today that he could never have envisaged in his final hours back over 2,000 years ago. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.